Welcome to Pragmatic. Pragmatic is a weekly discussion show contemplating the practical application of technology. Exploring the real-world trade-offs, we look at how great ideas are transformed into products and services that can change our lives. Nothing is as simple as it seems. This episode is sponsored by ManyTricks, makers of helpful apps for the Mac. Visit ManyTricks, all one word, dot com slash pragmatic for more information about their apps, Butler, Chemo, Leech, Moom, Usher, Witch, Desktop, Curtain, TimeSync, and Name Mangler. If you visit that URL, you can use the code PRAGMATIC25 in the shopping cart to save 25% on any ManyTricks product. This episode is also sponsored by LifeX. Visit LifeX, spelled L-I-F-X, dot co slash pragmatic for more information and to take advantage of a special discount off their amazing LED smart bulbs exclusively for pragmatic listeners. We'll talk about them more during the show. I'm your host, John Chigi, and today I'm joined by a special guest host to talk about somewhat of a more unusual topic, at least offbeat for the show, perhaps. So my guest host tonight is a well-known iOS and web developer who in 2007 built the guts of a little website called Tumblr. Uh, built an app to help him read his favorite web pages when I was on the subway when he was out of mobile data range called Instapaper. Then he did the magazine Bugshot Nursing Clock. On his blog, he's covered LED light bulbs, headphones, and bathroom layouts. And he's had three big co- podcasts, starting with Build and Analyze, then Neutral, and now, most recently, the Accidental Tech Podcast. And just yesterday, he released a new app for podcast playback called a podcatcher, if you like that you may even be listening to this episode on right now. That's called Overcast. So I am, of course, joined by none other than Marco Arment. Welcome to Pragmatic, Marco. Thank you, and hello. I think it's funny that what we're going to talk about has very little to do with the intro that you read for the show. Indeed. But I thought about it, and I thought, well, you know, well, you have two two passions. So you, there's PHP and there's coffee. So we had to pick one, and so naturally we would have picked coffee. And because, well, I mean, why not, right? Coffee, okay, is it pragmatic? Well, coffee helps me to focus and to think. It's a stimulant. So that kind of works. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I guess it is. I mean, I use some technology to make the coffee that I'm drinking right now. Um, You know, this is a very complicated process of heated water and uh, some crushing of beans and then some stirring. Those are all technical processes. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. So, okay, it's going to be a little bit different. But you know what? I, I'm determined to tackle this the way I normally tackle topics. So, I have to start with a little bit of history. So, a history of coffee. Okay, strap yourself in, I guess, or turn off. No, don't turn off. Okay. So, in terms of recorded history going back to about the 13th century, it was thought to have originated in what we now call Ethiopia. So, it was believed to have first been harvested uh, by Arabs in the 14th century, but the first actual documented evidence came from Yemen in the 15th century. So, within a century of that, it had spread all through the Middle East, Persia, Turkey, and Northern Africa. Within another century from then, it was pretty much grown globally. Now, the word coffee actually entered the English language um, in the late 1500s. Um, and it came from the Dutch word, um, well, coffee, K-O-F-F-I-E. But uh, that was also actually borrowed from a Turkish word, and I'm not sure how to pronounce it in Turkish, but I'm going to go with kavi, K-A-H-V-E, which in turn was borrowed from the Arabic, uh, and I'm not even going to try and pronounce that, but anyway, uh, it was just, no, there's even some more I'm not going to pronounce. Anyway, it was roughly translated <laughs> as wine of the bean, 
apparently. So <laughs> you can, it, the, the word the word itself traces it, the travel of the coffee from the Middle East through the rest of the world. So the word sort of went you know evolved along with the beverage as it was as it was becoming popular. So the funny thing is that in in the Americas, coffee came to the Caribbean, and that was in the 1720s. And that was actually po- it, the funny thing is it was popularized after the Boston Tea Party in 770, 1773 during the American Revolution because drinking tea was a very British thing. So drinking coffee, yeah, you know, it was so tea was considered to be an unpatriotic thing to be drinking. So you should be drinking coffee, <laughs> like freedom fries. Yeah, that's <laughs> yes, exactly. So there you go. Drink your um, your patriotic coffee. Uh, one of the little um, darker sides of it, just to sprinkle in here, is that historically the cultivation of coffee sort of gone hand in hand, unfortunately, with slavery. It sort of piggybacked a little bit on the sugar industry. It was never as big a driver as a sugar industry, but the sugar industry and the, and the coffee and tea industries, they sort of were all inter- interrelated. And that was at its worst during the 15th and 19th centuries, but uh, it's less of a problem these days, but you still you know read things from time to time about some of the places it's grown being perhaps um yeah less than less than ideal working conditions but in any case um it's a very popular product so people want to drive the costs down anyway so there's two major kinds of coffee and i only learnt this very recently myself for reasons i'll explain later but anyway coffea arabica and of course everyone just calls it arabica and the other one is Coffea canifora, which is commonly referred to as Robusta. And those are the two main strains, and they provide between them about 95% of the world's demand of coffee or production of coffee beans. Now, because Arabica is one of those things that it's... it's I think it's less um, pest-resistant or something like that. It's It requires more care and attention and love or something... And it's more expensive to produce. But because it's much nicer flavor, then there's 70% of that demand is Arabica. Robust is about the remaining the remaining amount. So, it's used to usually blend together and sort of like... So, it's not 100% Arabica. It'll be a bit of Arabica, mostly Arabica with a bit of Robusta in there to sort of, you know, give it a bit of a different blend. Anyway, so it's a member of the Rubiac... Rub- Rub- oh, God. You know what? I'm an electrical engineer. I'm not a botanist. It's a rubia kit. I'm going to spell it. Uh, R-U-B-I-A. It's, in the it's in the show notes. Thank you, Marco. Yes. Yeah, have a look in the show notes for that one. Um, anyway, it's from the, that family. Oh, it gets its name. Um, basically, it translates from the Latin word ruba, meaning red. But of course, you know, by the time where you pick the berries and everything, they end up being uh, green. And then when you roast them, they're certainly not red or green anymore. They get that lovely shade of brown. Uh, so anyway, but the funny thing, I I I always thought that the coffee plant was a shrub, but I only just learnt the other day that actually they come as either shrubs or as small trees, depending upon uh, the type. So. Uh, they can be either shrubs or small trees, but they all produce a little green fruit that we pick it, we roast it, grind it, immerse it in water, chuck out the grounds, and then drink the water. And when you put it like that, it doesn't uh, sound very appet- it doesn't sound very appetizing, does it? <laughs> uh, well, first of all, to correct you on one minor point, the fruit Please. is red. It um, is, yeah, but the seeds that are in the fruit end up after the process being this greenish, lightish yellow color. Damn it! Um, yeah, but so, but <laughs> thank it's, you yeah, for correcting the me. The seeds on that. are are the inner part that we eat. But the, the fruit, which is called coffee cherry, right. uh, is red. And it looks a lot like cherries, which is what, probably why it's called that. 
Fair enough. And thank you for correcting me on that because you can tell I haven't grown my own. Actually, have you Neither ever- have I. <laughs> oh, okay, fine. Well, okay. I've only ever seen it coming out of a packet and photos of it roasted. So, I'm- And, and you yeah, know, so I haven't actually seen raw stuff before. But I saw they were selling bags of it on eBay and it was all green. So, anyway, there we go. So, um, I reckon the main reason that coffee is popular is because of caffeine. And I don't know- if that's even disputable or not. Because, I mean, if you took the caffeine out, do you think people would actually enjoy drinking lots and lots of coffee? Do you think? I, You know, I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of people who drink decaf because for various reasons, either they prefer it or they can't have caffeine and so they have to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I would imagine most of those people probably used to drink regular. Yes. And that's how they got, you know, that's how they got into coffee. Yeah. And they probably, I, I would imagine most decaf drinkers you know, drink decaf because they like it, but they started to like it because of the caffeine. Um, yes. I, I think, you know, it's it's probably similar to, like, non-alcoholic beer in that way. In, like, there there are situations in which, like, there's social situations in which it's nice to, you know, if, if, you're, if you're having a meeting or if you're socializing at a coffee shop and you can't have caffeine or you don't want to have caffeine at that point, it's nice to have an option to say, okay, I'll take a decaf. Yeah. And you can still participate in the thing everyone else is doing. Um, without having the caffeine if it causes problems for you. Um, mm-hmm. But I have never heard of anybody who started drinking coffee because they just love the taste alone mm. and always just drank decaf and just didn't ever want caffeine. I, I, and I do like coffee a lot. And so if, I, if, if there came a point where I couldn't have caffeine anymore on a regular basis, I would probably still drink it and probably switch to decaf. Although there is a little bit of a problem, the decaf usually tastes worse, which we can get to why that is. <laughs> but, um, but I, I think you're right overall. I, I think the main reason, you know, just like most people don't start drinking non-alcoholic beer, and that's all they ever have. You know, like the the reason why, like you can appreciate beer as a complex beverage that tastes good to you, um, but the main reason most people start drinking beer is because of the alcohol, right? And so mm-hmm. I, I think. I think the main reason people drink coffee is for the caffeine. And it just so happens that it is also a very good tasting beverage that you can get into kind of as a result of wanting the caffeine. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, and I I agree completely. And I think that that's, that's the problem is that the caffeine is where it starts. So, I think it's important that we just quickly cover a little bit about caffeine because there's a little... And there's a little bit of chemistry in here. So, I apologize for people that don't like the chemistry, but I just... I had to have it. So, just like the caffeine, I had to have it in there. Anyway, so... Um, looking at that, caffeine is a, is is a stimulant, and it is an addictive substance. But the dependence and the withdrawal that you get is relatively mild compared to other drugs like opiates. So the thing is, the molecule itself fits into the brain's aden- adenosine. I think it's pronounced adenosine receptors, and adenosine is actually responsible for telling the brain when it's time to sleep or to rest. So. The caffeine gets in there and blocks those receptors. So, that then allows the dopamine to work more efficiently and it also triggers the adrenal glands to release more adrenaline. So, the combination of those things makes you feel more alert Well, you, you become more alert. So, with long-term use though, the brain adds more adenosine receptors to compensate because the caffeine keeps blocking the ones that you've got and that causes you to build up a tolerance. You need to have more caffeine in order to then block the additional adenosine receptors in order to get the same result out of the dopamine and the adrenaline. So, if you then miss your caffeine hit, then the brain is flooded with adenosine and the dopamine adrenaline levels basically drop through the the floor and you start getting withdrawal. 
So, the thing with withdrawal is that the symptoms vary from person to person, but the general ones withdrawal from caffeine are headaches, sleepiness, irritability, lethargy, constipation, depression, muscle pain, muscle stiffness, inability to focus or concentrate, which for me is the big one, insomnia, and some people even get flu-like symptoms. So, is that all? I know that's all, but I I just want to I'm curious. Have you that's not ever too bad. I know, have you ever been through caffeine withdrawal and what was it like for you, I guess? So, I don't I've never had anything very severe. Um, the only, the only withdrawal symptoms I've ever had are if I, if I go a day without having any coffee, I will usually get a a moderate to mild headache at about 4 PM for a little while. That's it. And that is definitely a symptom of caffeine withdrawal, but I don't actually have that much caffeine. Like I don't, even though I love coffee a lot and I love talking about it and I, I am a severe coffee geek. I only have either one or two cups per day, and they're pretty small cups. Um, like, to give you some idea, the uh, each cup only has between 8 and 12 grams of coffee beans brewed with it. So yeah. that's, you know, by coffee standards, those are pretty small cups. And yeah. uh, and and at most, I will have two. Some, some days I only have one. Because I'm actually very sensitive to caffeine. Like, that's all I can take. If I have much more than that, I get, like, to what to me feels like a caffeine overload, which not only has me kind of tense and not necessarily jittery, but just kind of high strung. But <laughs> if I have too much caffeine, I um, I actually feel like I have a fever, and wow. it's really unpleasant. Okay, and uh, and so I I don't have a lot, so I don't I don't hit those more severe withdrawal symptoms that I think a lot of people get if they're having like four or five cups a day and then they just stop. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Well, the, the, it's you know, you've managed to surprise me, Marco. The thing is, the amount of amount of time that I've I've heard you talk about coffee, I always just jumped to that conclusion that you would therefore drink a lot of it. So I'm I'm sort of glad you pointed that one out because I, I was something I I had no idea. And in my case, I, it sounds like I have too much coffee now because I, I feel bad now. <laughs> but um, just sticking with the withdrawal though for the moment though, I I do have withdrawal from it, and I find that the worst withdrawal for me kicks in after 24 hours. It takes about that long for for me to start feeling symptoms, and it starts with a, it's it's not a traditional sort of a, a headache like I would get from you know fatigue or maybe an eye strain, but it, it is uh, it's a sort of a, a very dull, very very light throbbing that's very distracting, and then after after about halfway through that the the second day. I just get very, very irritable. I don't, I don't quite get the shakes, but I just get very short with people and very snappy. And I'm just generally not, I, I'm not the the bubbly, pleasant, effervescent personality you're listening to right now. Let's put it that way. So yeah. I would love to see bubbly you. <laughs> this is bubbly me. Like, what does that state look like? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. You see, I don't know. Oh dear. Anyway, so look, yeah, I do get withdrawal and yeah, it sucks. So I, I try to moderate my caffeine um, from two points of view. One, I want to be maximally alert. And the other other point of view is I, I don't want to let it go too long. Otherwise, I know I'm going to get withdrawal symptoms and I'm not going to be very pleasant. So yeah. So there you go. I guess I, uh, I have issues. But if I can make it past the third day, then I'm fine. And then I'll, I'll be without caffeine for weeks and it'll be suddenly like, oh, I'm tired. I should have a cup. And then I'm back on the train again. So... Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I've found that like it's it's an easy tolerance to reset. Yeah. Um in that like, you know, usually, you know, if if you totally even if you have a lot, like like you sound like you do. Yeah. If you quit cold turkey and don't have any caffeine, usually like for most people I think it's a matter of just one or two, maybe three at most days in which you might see any problems at all. 
and then you're totally reset and you can you know go back to it whenever you want or you can stay off of it forever you know at that point it's 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 you know it's a lot easier to quit caffeine than it is like cigarettes you know oh yeah sure yeah no cigarettes are bad so it's uh, like very hard to quit and uh, it's it, they're up there with opiates in terms of difficulty there to quit. oh yeah yeah but caffeine no so okay so there you go now now we've uh We've both admitted that we sort of tweak our caffeine levels for uh, at different levels, but um, yeah, we're we're stuck on the stuff. But that's okay because it, you know, coffee tastes lovely, so that's all right. All right, here here goes the chemistry, and um, yeah, I actually remember how to pronounce some of these. So there we go. Caffeine has a systematic name: three uh, seven dihydro one three seven trimethyl one H purine two six dione. This will be in the show notes. Oh, that'll be in the show notes. Yes, it will. <laughs> uh, however, the funny thing is caffeine is also known as a 137-trimethylexane and 137-trimethyl-2,6-dioxopurine. I mean, obviously. Anyhow, so... <laughs> uh, I, has, I couldn't help myself to throw that in. Caffeine is classified as an alkaloid and it enters the bloodstream after and about after 10 minutes after it's ingested... Uh, it starts to take effect and it stays in the body for up to 12 hours. Obviously, that rate varies from person to person. Some people people metabolize it quicker than others. But like other alkaloids, you know, it has a psychological effect that we sort of talked about, but it stimulates... The stimulation causes the heart muscle to... um, uh, well, to be stimulated and get beat a bit faster, relaxes other structures in the body and, you know, including the coronary arteries and, uh, and your lungs, the bronchi in your lungs. And the other benefit... Benefit? Oh, well, side effect is it's a diuretic, which means what? You know what a diuretic is? I know the result of a diuretic, <laughs> uh, but but I think what it actually means is, doesn't it kind of cause your body to want to dump water? That's exactly what it means. It's a very nice way of saying you got to go and wee a lot. So, yes, <laughs> basically. And that that therefore dehydrates you, and that's the that's the downside. So if you have a lot of caffeine and you don't balance that with uh, a lot of water, well, not a lot of water, but balance it with water, then you tend to get dehydrated, and obviously that's not good for you. So anyway, okay. So before we go on any further, I just want to talk about our first sponsor, and that is uh, Many Tricks. So Many Tricks is a great software development company whose apps do well. You guessed it, Many Tricks. Their apps include Butler, Chemo, Leech, Moom, Usher, Witch, Desktop Curtain, TimeSync, and Name Mangler. There's so much to talk about for each app. What we're going to do is we're going to focus on a different one each week. And this week, we're going to talk about Name Mangler. Now, Name Mangler's job is to rename files quickly, efficiently, and in huge numbers if you if need be. It can search and replace by pattern, of course, but you can extract metadata from the files you're renaming and use it in the file name. You can add multiple steps to your renaming sequences. You can run them one after the other. You can create preset actions for commonly repeated renaming tasks. And when you're done, if you mess it all up, you can revert them all back to where you started. No mess, no fuss. That's just scratching the surface of what this app can do for you. So if you are messing around with file names, it is fantastic. I've been using it for years and I love it. I've used Name Mangler for renaming photos from, because they come out of the cameras like P, blah, 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 some number, to something meaningful, hundreds at a time. I've dumped all of my DVD collection, converted them into iTunes, converted them for iTunes using Handbrake and such, and used Name Mangler to create the season and episode numbering in the file name. I've used it so many times, I've lost count. Trust me, it's great. In fact, don't take my word for it. If you haven't tried it, download the trial on the website and have a play with Name Mangler yourself. 
You can download the free trial of Name Mangler from ManyTricks, all one word, dot com slash Name Mangler, also all one word, to try it out. Now, when you fall in love with it like I did, it's available from that page or through the Mac App Store for $19 US. However, if you visit that URL before the 17th of August, you can take advantage of a special discount off their very helpful apps exclusively for pragmatic listeners. Simply use the coupon code PRAGMATIC25 in the discount code box in the shopping cart to receive 25% off. Thank you to ManyTricks for sponsoring Pragmatic. Okay, so we've talked a bit about the history of coffee and about caffeine. But what I want to do now is talk a little bit about personal history. And I'd like to start with you, which is when did you start drinking coffee? I actually didn't start until I had my first full-time job out of, uh, after college. You know, I was not one of those people who had coffee in, in high school or college. Uh, I probably should have, um, but I didn't. Uh, I really, It was really just, you know, I was adapting from a lazy college kid to a lazy full-time worker <laughs> and uh, just needed, you know, a little boost in the afternoons and then the mornings uh, as well. Uh, and that's really how I got it. Okay, fair and enough. And I started out, you know, despite the the nerd I am about it now, I started out putting milk and sugar in my coffee and drinking terrible coffee from one of those big office coffee pots. And mm. uh, yeah, and then over time, I slowly reduced the sugar and the milk because I, as I as I learned to like the taste of it more, mm. and as I found better coffee, <laughs> and so then, yeah, and and you know, by probably three or four years in, I I was just drinking it black. Wow, I'm not at that point yet. So. I uh, get there. I know. I'm sure. I think I will too. As I'm seeing a progression already, and it's only been exactly. <laughs> two and a half, three months. I'm already starting to leave sugar out. So, uh, all right. So, all up. So, how long? Ten, twelve years? Would you say roughly? You've been drinking then coffee? Uh, about ten. About ten. So, in my case, I never drank coffee. Uh, I grew up in a relatively hot climate in the tropics and my hometown of Rockhampton it would get up to you know 40 degrees celsius in the summertime is quite you know it's quite warm whatever that is in fahrenheit but warm 100 100 plus anyway so warm and drinking a hot drink made no sense to me so i would always stick with cold water anyway i uh started drinking diet coke and uh you know got into the you know caffeine through through diet coke however um as i got older i've you know, I started having you know, issues with my teeth. It's sort of started to because, you know, too many sodas, soft drinks, whatever you want to call them, or soda pop, uh, starts eating away at the enamel layer on your teeth. And that's not good. And end up getting a few fillings and so on. So, that's not good. But I was still, you know, on the caffeine and I didn't want to have hot drinks. So, uh, then there was an incident um, recently where I've I've blogged about this on my on my website but if you don't and there's the number of people that listen to the show that, that don't read my site probably aren't aware of this but I recently had uh, weight loss surgery because I had uh, I was having some health issues related to my weight and uh, in any case I now have got a gastric sleeve and I can't have soft drink anymore I can't have bubbling beverages it causes intense pain and it's the sort of thing that's I have, I basically have to remove from the list. So either I, I flatten my diet coke and drink it as a cordial, which I you know don't like, uh, or I found a different kind of beverage. So I decided to try coffee, and I'd never really tried it seriously in the past. And if I had, it had been a sip or two, and it had been that stuff that you're describing, you know, from the the communal, you know, percolating, you know, coffee pot machine that tasted absolutely horrid. And anyway. 
I decided that I would try coffee and I have now been drinking it for just over two and a half months, getting close to the third month now. And I've just fallen in love with it. I think it's fantastic. And yeah, I, I get the caffeine that I'm looking for, but I also am, am learning how to tweak the flavors the way that I would like them. So, for me, this is a very new thing, very new sort of idea, but you've been doing this for, you know, a decade compared to me. So, um, I know you know a lot more about it than I do. So, we'll, it's going to start picking your brains on some of this in a minute. So, I did a lot of research because it's funny how much I, I just didn't know about how to make coffee. Because, of course, there's instant coffee, which you, you buy in, the, in a tin or a bottle and you put a couple of spoonfuls of it into you know, hot water, stir it, and then, you know, you think that's coffee. And it's just terrible. I, I I can understand why people do it because it's so quick and so easy, but I just could not get into it. I, I, I mixed it with some milk. I added sugar and it just tasted odd to me. I just couldn't quite get into it. So, then I tried store-bought coffee. Then there was Gloria Jeans and we do also have Starbucks here, although significantly less because Starbucks aren't doing well here. So, oh, good. <laughs> now, now, don't be mean. But yes, uh, so, so, and oddly enough, it was Gloria Jean's store-bought coffee that made me realize that coffee could actually taste better than the instant coffee. And that's what got me into it. So, I started researching my equipment and what equipment to use. And I guess I, I want to get to that in a few minutes. But um, first of all, I want to talk about the roasting of the of the coffee itself. Now I have not roasted my own coffee. So all I know is what I've read, but as I understand it, there's different colors of roast, lighter versus light all the way from light to dark. And there's the first crack and the second crack I've read about, but maybe it's more appropriate if you tell me a little bit more about what the levels of roasting and what that gets you because you've done it and I haven't. Yeah, sure. So um, basically, when you roast, and and just to to address the the, the first part of how you roast, um, you know, the, the big shops do it in these big machines with these you know big steel drums, and they're usually I think they're usually gas fired or you know, so, some way to make tons of heat. And uh, if you home roast, you know, you you have to find a way to heat beans up to roughly four hundred degrees Fahrenheit, whatever that is in Australian. I don't know. <laughs> okay. and, uh, Sorry. That's all right. <laughs> um, yeah, so roughly 400 degrees Fahrenheit is is where you're going. I, I forget the exact number for for the different cracks, but you can find that on Wikipedia um, if you look up coffee roasting. They have a, they even have like a nice a nice picture grid of like the different levels and what color it looks like. Uh, it's mm -hmm. nice. Anyway, so um, we'll put that in the show notes if one of us remembers. Yep, it's in there. Uh, so the home roasting machines look basically like, um, if you've ever seen one of those home chicken rotisserie machines, yep. um, it looks like a large toaster oven, basically. That's what most of these roasters look like. Um, some of them look like tiny shop roasters. Um, the 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 one I started off with is it's called the Baymore B H M O R. Um, it's one of the most popular ones. It's the one I would recommend if you're if you want to get into coffee roasting. I would say that's the one to get. Um, it's about three hundred dollars in the U S. I don't know if it's available other uh, in other places, but about three hundred bucks in the U S. Best place to get it is a website called Sweet Maria's, uh, SweetMaria's.com, and they also supply. Uh, unroasted beans uh, which is very nice then they have lots of tutorials and how to roast and they have videos and everything so if you want to get into home roasting go to sweet maria's and, and start there uh, you can even get into it much much more cheaply with either a cast iron skillet or uh, a popcorn air popper 
and they can you can you can get one for like thirty bucks. Wow! And uh, they can there's even like there's forums where people like figure out like which models of air poppers work best for this purpose and how you can mod yours to to be a little bit better. <laughs> okay, it's, wow. it's like, this whole community of people who roast with with air poppers, but um, weird. In fact, friend of friend of the internet uh, underscore David Smith started out that way, and I think Sean Blanc still does it that way. I'm not sure. Wow. Um, but they they I, i'm i'm pretty sure both of them have at one time roasted using air poppers and it's been fine um anyway so these machines are you know basically toaster ovens that with drums in them that spin and uh and they just have immense heat output uh so that so they can heat these things so hot within about 15 or 20 minutes um so anyway when you're roasting um you know the the beans come as these really like hard like rock hard it's it's like it's like if you try to bite into one it's like trying to bite into an uncooked popcorn kernel um, okay. just like these rock hard little beans mm-hmm. um and they they look you know pale green to pale yellow and uh so you dump them in you roast them as they roast they kind of pop like popcorn um they have like this outer skin on them that falls off called chaff mm-hmm. and uh it's it's just it just makes these these little like weightless flakes of just this kind of dust dusty thing and it, it if you like open the coffee ma- if you open the roaster and sneeze they'll go everywhere so be careful <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you always need a vacuum nearby when you're roasting coffee is to get all the chaff out but uh, anyway uh-huh. so as you roast you know they they kind of pop and that's first crack uh first crack is them reaching the point where the chaff kind of blows off they they pop they get that little like cracked part in the middle of the bean where, where like the little seam runs through um that kind of like cracks open and that's that's like the first point and it's it's pretty far into the process you know if you're doing a roast that's 20 minutes long first crack will happen around 15 minutes like it's it's pretty far and most of the process is pretty boring um and then between first and second crack is when you get all the all the darkness levels like first crack is like the the earliest you can stop the roast and have it be drinkable in any reasonable way because if if you miss that if you stop it too early the coffee you get tastes really weird. Like, because unroasted beans don't smell like coffee. Mm. They don't, like, they, they smell kind of grassy. It's, it, like, mm-hmm. I I always, like, make people smell them when they're in my house because I'm strange. Uh, and <laughs> they, they're always surprised by, like, by, like, it totally, it totally blows them away. Like, they're, it is not at all what they expected coffee beans to smell like because they don't smell like coffee at all. Mm. Um, if you stop the roast before first crack, your coffee tastes like that. Uh, oh, and that's yeah. that's no good. It's mm. it's a very odd, unpleasant taste that you don't generally want. Um, anyway, so first crack, they're very light brown, but you know they're they be, start becoming drinkable, and then you progress, and really over the course of three to five minutes, you progress through the entire the entire range of darkness levels, and you can choose to stop the roast whenever you want, um, and so you choose how dark to roast it. Um, and there's a science to this and there's, there are some tweaks you can do with like, you know, with like playing with the heat level during that time or turning on or off the fan to, to exhaust the hot air from the roaster at different speeds and, you know, trying to like, trying to get like a, they call it a roast curve, like a different, a different progression of the heat into the beans. I have tried tweaking that here and there and have never found the results noticeable in the way I roast. It's probably because I'm not a very skilled roaster, but whatever the reason, that's that has not been worth the complexity to me. Um, so I just let it go at full blast until it reaches my desired darkness level and then I stop it. Um, so as it progresses, it, it will... Um, if you have coffee at a, at a fancy place like Stumptown in the US or you know any like fancy like craft roaster that you've heard of in the last few years, 
it will never even get close to second crack. Uh, they stop the roast very early on, usually like a third of the way between first crack and second crack. So it's it's still a pretty light flavor. I like it better dark, and so you know dark, but not like not burnt. And yeah. so I stop it at the full city roast, which is why my mm-hmm. the 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 corporate entity that that is that I do my my blog and podcast business with is called Full City LLC. This is why <laughs> um, it's a coffee roasting term. I nice. happen to live near Manhattan, which is kind of a, a nice double meaning of full city, but uh, mm. but it's more about coffee, and um, <laughs> and so I uh, so full city roasting is I and forgive me if I'm getting this wrong. Check Wikipedia, but it's it's right before or right at second crack. Right. So as you're roasting, the first crack is like this loud pop. It sounds like popcorn in the roaster. It's very very clear, mm-hmm. and then. It, it, and it's a lot like microwaving popcorn. So, like, you know, it kind of comes in a way. Like, they don't all pop at once. But, you know, first you'll hear, like, one or two, and then you'll hear a whole lot, and then it'll kind of drop down again. You'll hear, like, one or two that are, you know, took a while, you know. And then second crack sounds almost like Rice Krispies crackling. Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh, you know, it's a, it's a much quieter, more, like, crackly kind of sound. And, it, it, again, it's the same thing. You have to, like, you'll hear a couple of them early, and then you'll start hearing more and more frequent ones. There'll be an obvious peak where this, where they're all hitting second crack, and they'll start fading off. Um, for me, I like to, I like to stop the roast right at like right as I start hearing the first few of them hitting second crack. Then I stop it because if you go past second crack, it burns pretty quickly. Right. Um, and and so yeah, that's that, that's kind of what roasting is like. Um, okay. And and the the process, and then it dumps out all the beans and. Oh, one more big warning. If you mm. are interested in getting into home roasting, roasting coffee produces a lot of smoke. Hmm. Not steam, smoke. <laughs> and, so do it and, outside uh, or something or have a have a extraction fan? Yeah, a lot of people do it outside. I I, fir- I did my first couple of roasts um where I put the roaster on a baking tray on top of my my range and All just right. used the range fan. Mm-hmm. Um that was not sufficient. And Whoa. part of that's cuz my range fan sucks and is half broken. Um <laughs> But but part of it is that it needs a lot. So what I do now is I have the roaster on a countertop that has a window above it, and then I I put a box fan on that windowsill blowing out. Wow. Okay. Um. So it's and that takes care of everything because box fans push a lot of air even on low. Wow. Um. So uh, that's how I do it now. Uh, a lot of people just do it outside. Right. <laughs> you know, that's that's another way to do it. If you can run, you know run some power outside, it's that's another way to do it. So that's how we track you down, Marco. Is we're just going to look for the uh, the steady smoke uh, column rising yeah. when you're roasting, and we'll know it's you. <laughs> you. And you can smell it from a few houses away. I'm, oh, I'm fortunate wow. to have very nice neighbors. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, if they like coffee, maybe you can offer them some. So there you go. Okay. Cool. Well, and I, also, if you. there's any question in your mind about mm. whether you should roast, the answer is no, you shouldn't. <laughs> um, and yet and yet you do right it, it's of course it well yeah. again, it's it's like writing your own blog platform you shouldn't do that either but i do um <laughs> it's <laughs> like you generate like if if you're looking at it from a purely practical standpoint you can make it you can try to make a cost argument you can say well you know because like a, a really great unroasted coffee bean hmm. might be six or seven dollars a pound yeah and that's like for the you know the average is closer to five or six Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's really that it's it's cheap. Unroasted coffee is cheap, and you can get really good coffee that would if you if you bought coffee that was that good from someone roasted, it might be twenty bucks a pound. You can get that for six or seven bucks a pound. So right. there is a big cost savings, but you have to pay for the roaster, and so it. it I think it takes a long time <laughs> if you yeah. try to make a cost argument. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes yep. a while to to cross that line. 
but uh, it's mostly about control because the advantage of home roasting is that I because the unroasted beans keep for like six months or a year. Okay. So I have a cabinet full of unroasted beans. I have like twenty pounds. Wow. Um, and so then I'm never out of coffee. Whenever I whenever I'm running low on beans, I just roast some more. And so at any point I can have fresh roasted beans. And in a lot of places, you don't you there is no local fresh roaster. There's a lot of places where the only coffee you can get is old coffee that's been on store shelves for six months. Yep. Um or in warehouses for six months. Um in a lot of places, even places that have fresh roasters nearby which are pretty rare. Usually, usually, if you can't see the roaster in the store, they probably aren't a fresh roaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, even places that are roasters, sometimes they won't roast the way you like it. Sometimes <laughs> they'll roast too dark or too light, and so it's a way to get exactly what you want whenever you want, uh, and and a pretty much infinite supply of of co- of coffee done exactly your way. Right. That being said, it is a hassle. Um, it is something that takes time. You know, a, a roast start to finish plus cleanup time takes about a half hour. Um, right. And so, you know, it's not for everyone by, by, by a long way. It's not for everyone. So the other thing that I was told is that once you do roast the beans, you've got about two weeks or something um, before after that yeah, they've gone Yeah, it depends who you ask. Yeah. Um, what have yeah, you found? Coffee, this, this is one of the reasons why store-bought coffee is bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because once you roast coffee, it is kind of like fresh produce mm. in that, like, when, it, when it's in, like, the dried, unroasted state, it's pretty stable for a long time. Once you've roasted it, though, all sorts of chemical reactions inside of it change. I'm not really qualified to tell you exactly what they are. Um, a lot of it has to do with oxidation, oxidization, oxidation? Oxidation, uh, whatever. Yeah. 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 A lot of it has to do with that and, you know, and gas escaping the beans and the, and the internal chemistry changing when you roast it. Mm-hmm. Basically... Um, the short version is you have roughly a week after roasting where it's really good. Yeah. And then, and so after roasting it, it starts losing flavor. Some people will argue that the best flavor is actually like day two or three afterwards because mm-hmm. some of the gas still escapes after roasting for a while, but uh, which is why the, which is actually, that's the reason why the bags have those little one way air valves on them. Yeah. It's to let it's, it's to let air that comes inside out. Mm-hmm. Because the beans will continue to emit carbon dioxide for a little while after they're roasted. Yes. Um, so that's why those little, those valves are there to get to let air out. Um, but so you know, the best flavor is between you know day zero and two, depending on who you ask. And right. uh, and then as as the beans get stale, their flavor starts dropping, mm. and the flavor gets you know flatter. Uh, you know some of the, some of the high notes are lost. You know, it's it's hard to describe flavors without sounding douchey or like a wine taster. But, well, yeah, uh, but you're right. It's kind of hand in hand, I guess. No, <laughs> but you, you <laughs> now, basically now. start losing the details. Yeah, um, I understand. You start losing, yeah, like, like you you start losing like the the finer parts of the flavor, the the more savory parts. You know, just you 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 lose a lot of it over over about a week, maybe two weeks, and then after about two weeks, the beans reach like a, a stable a relatively stable like flatness where they're no longer great but they're okay and they can stay in that state for a long time mm-hmm. months yeah. uh, so almost any bean you get from a store is in that state because just just the supply chain it just takes long you know it takes more than two weeks chances are whatever coffee you see in a store shelf has been roasted at least a month ago probably more mm-hmm. um, and so a trick that people use. So, you know, generally speaking, the difference in flavor between fresh and not fresh 
is the not fresh flavor is just dull. It's flatter. There's le- it's less complicated. It's less bold. There's less there's less flavor there in general, and it's kind of a lower quality flavor. But there's a trick. Mm-hmm. If you roast really dark, really dark, then you can get more flavor out of it. It's not a good flavor. It's it tastes charred almost, mm. but it's more flavor. So super dark roasts are are a way for old beans to seem to, you know, to relatively undiscerning taste to seem like they like they are more bold and have more flavor for mm. longer periods of time. Yeah, but the flavor is And that's why driven. like Trader Joe's, like mm. Trader Joe's is this, this very popular chain here in the US of grocery stores that sell, you know, they they basically sell like old weird food private labeled uh, <laughs> that's been sitting in a warehouse for a long time and some of it's good and a lot of it's not. Okay. Um, Trader Joe's it's it's like it's like if you've ever gotten one of those gift baskets that has like all like the the fake brands of like crackers and stuff in them. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, for holidays and stuff. Yeah. Like Trader Joe's yep, yep. is a lot like those gift baskets where everything is, is private labeled. Mm. About a quarter of it is good and the rest of it is forgettable or bad. <laughs> and uh <laughs> okay. and so, you know, it's roasting coffee like they have all these like super dark roast in these tubs that are probably roasted a year ago, you know, and and, yeah. and uh and that's but that's that's a way like the super darkness is a way to to make the coffee have more flavor for longer even if it isn't necessarily a good flavor. And that's also Starbucks's trick, by the way. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly Starbucks's trick. Yeah, that's it. So, I guess from this, uh, and, and thank you for all that detail, because I, I read it bits and pieces, and the bits and pieces I'd read about the the level of roasting was that the darker you roast, it, it, it's basically it starts to destroy the caffeine in it. You get less acidity. Um, there's more oil that leaches out of it, but the flavor ceases to be about the flavor of the actual coffee beans themselves and more about the flavor from the roasting process. I think that's that's the way that I I, I took it to mean. Yeah, but, coffee nerds use the term roast flavor. Right. Um, that's a euphemism for char burnt flavor. Right, <laughs> it's, okay, yeah. Like, that's, that's what that means, really. Um, and yeah, so, you know, as you're, you know, it's it's like it's like toasting anything, you know, it's like as you, you know, you're, you're to a point earlier on where the, where like, you know, the, the inherent flavors of the bean are still there, but once it starts burning, even a little bit, the burn flavor can can take over the flavor profile very yeah. quickly because burning, yeah. you know, burnt food is such a strong flavor. Yeah, that powers it. Uh, you have to be very, very careful with it. Yeah, fair enough. All right, cool. Well, uh, it's just time for our second sponsor. So let's talk a little bit quickly about LifeX. That's spelled L-I-F-X. And that's a smart light bulb that gives you previously unheard of control of your lighting. Each light, each light bulb is Wi-Fi enabled. It can give you light in whatever color of the rainbow you like. And it's an energy efficient LED light bulb that you can control with your smartphone. With over a thousand lumens at your disposal, it's incredibly bright, but it consumes only 18 watts of power at maximum, though most rooms only use about half that. Controlling the brightness, color, and a range of cool effects is easy on the smartphone, on your smartphone and using the LifeX app on your smartphone. And the bulb is made to last. It's rated for 27 years. That's at four hours per day operation, and that's equivalent to around about 40,000 hours. So you're going to move house most likely before you need to change the light bulb. The LifeX bulbs support both standard Edison screw and bayonet connectors and will work at all standard voltages around the world between 100 and 240 volts AC. It has a developer-friendly SDK. It's currently available for iOS, Android, and Ruby, which means that you can, if you can think of a way to control these things, you can go out and build it on whatever platform you like right now. 
And on that note, in fact, there's a competition currently open to developers until the 25th of July, 2014. So, if you submit an app by that deadline, you could, you're in the running to win enough LifeX bulbs to fill every light socket in your house, as well as get free advertising for your app through LifeX. Check out the blog, LifeX, that's L-I-F-X dot co for more information and be quick because there's not much time left. As for me personally, I've been testing the demo bulbs now for, well, getting close to a couple of months now and my kids love it. They have taken control of the lights and created their own dance parties, sometimes when we least expected, but they had a great time doing it and it was just fantastic the way that the, the, the lights dance essentially to the music, to the sound of the music. It's really, really cool. Anyway, lots more things you can do with them. So, LifeX bulbs are shipping today for only $99 US with free shipping worldwide. All you have to do is head over to LifeX, again, that's spelled L-I-F-X dot co slash pragmatic to learn more and enter the coupon code pragmatic for 15% off the total price of your order. Thank you once again to LifeX for sponsoring Pragmatic. So, now I think it's time we talked about blooming. And I first read about blooming, I thought- Oh, God. (laughs) Okay, now you need to explain what you mean by oh god, because I'm beginning to think <laughs> I've picked a bad thing to say, but okay. So. Okay, so <laughs> when, <laughs> when coffee beans are freshly roasted, I yeah. mentioned earlier about the air valve, the one way air valve yes. in the bags, because they still continue to have a lot of carbon dioxide in them that gets emitted slowly. Mm-hmm. When you pour water on them, that gets emitted quickly. <laughs> Right, <laughs> and I'm not. You know, I'm sure there's a good chemistry reason why I don't. I'm not qualified to to explain why, but that's what happens. Mm-hmm. So when you when you brew very fresh coffee beans, uh, they foam up because all the air in them escapes quickly and makes this nice big foamy head on on the coffee, um, like you know, just like pouring a beer too fast. And uh, if your coffee is more than about six days from roasting, that won't happen nearly as much, if at all. Uh, or, you know, it, it, to a level you won't notice. Um, but, yeah, for the first few days, it's pretty noticeable. Okay. And common common brewing wisdom these days is, especially when doing something like a pour-over uh, or an aeropress, where you are, you are controlling the water flow in, into the beans, mm-hmm. um, the common wisdom is to pour just a little bit of water at first and then wait for the coffee to bloom. And the bloom really refers to that foaming up of, you know, it's, oh, the air is coming out. It makes this nice little, like, foamy head that might even, like, bloom up and then pop because, you know, it can't support its own weight, mm-hmm. uh, like like baking a souffle. So uh, the common wisdom is that you should let this, bl- you should pour it a little bit, let it bloom, and this does something. And it's vague <laughs> as to what people think this does. The, the I think the most common thing people think it does is somehow improve the flavor. Um, I'm guessing you don't that's agree. BS. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, I, I I think you know because coffee, you can brew coffee in a lot of different ways. All you're doing is adding water to the beans in some fashion, uh, providing maybe some kind of agitation method, whether it's stirring or whatever, and then straining out the ground somehow. Yeah, that's um, it. That's all you're doing, and so there's lots of different ways to do that. Um, and there's lots of different things you can do at each step there to um, to to you know try to add your own flair or to try to make small changes that you think might make a big difference. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of this is placebo. Yeah. 
So there's all this all this possible variation in how you brew things, and there's a lot of room for um, what most people call ritual, um, yeah. and and I think that's a good word for it, uh, and much to their chagrin. <laughs> Yeah. Um, because ritual is something that you do because you do it. And it's not necessarily because it does anything. Um, you might think it does something, uh, but that's often not supported by science or reason. Um, and I think there's a lot of that in, in coffee brewing. There's a lot of like, well, you just do it this way because, you know, it seems like it might make a difference or mm. it's it's fancy and it gives you it gives you a feeling of being fancy. Um, you know, reasons like that. The problem with that is, is that it makes coffee seem fussier than it really is. And it makes you, you know, it makes people who don't care about the ritual, uh, feel like they have to waste time doing certain things or do things a certain way that's less convenient or, or harder to clean up or, you know, various, has various practical deficiencies. <laughs> and yeah. so Bloom is one of the many things, uh, I put, I put wetting the paper filters in that same category. Yeah. Um, some people say that, that you should wet or rinse a paper filter before you use it because it'll make it taste less like paper. Um, I think if your if your coffee tastes like paper, you're using way too much paper and not enough coffee. Yeah. <laughs> I've never I've never had coffee that I could identify as having a papery taste. I, yeah, I think that is psychological. That's uh, weird. So anyway, um, and especially like with an AeroPress, where like the the filter is this t- you know relative to the to the volume of liquid mm. and the volume of coffee being like the the filter is such a tiny mass in mm-hmm. that it's this thin paper with this little disc you know it's I think I think that's crap yeah. um, I I've never so you know a lot of these things I will do things a certain way like the 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 way that that, that the pros recommend I'll do it that way for a while. And then one day I'll be like, you know what? I wonder what happens if I just do this the easier way. <laughs> and, yeah. and I'll try it. And the coffee will taste exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, it. so it's like, you know what? Okay, I, I guess I don't need to do that anymore. <laughs> no. No, and well, and there's, there's a lot of those things in coffee. And I think everyone should kind of find your own preferences there. Like, you know, if people say you need to do X, Y, or Z, but you try it both ways and can't tell the difference, don't mm-hmm. like struggle to try to, to try to detect the difference that isn't there for you. Um, you know, if you can't tell, just do what's easier for you. That's mm-hmm. it. <laughs> and yeah. so like, you know, I, I do with the air press, I do the inverted method where you kind of ha- set up the whole thing upside down and then you flip it over <laughs> on top of the cup. I do yeah. that mostly because it's actually easier for me to do that. Um, it, it, it is not as crazy as it sounds. Um, well, it's actually easier because then I can control the amount of water that goes into it very easily without having to weigh or measure the water beforehand. Um, I just have a kettle full of water that I boil and and uh, I pour in as much as I need for you know to fill it up basically and then I anyway no, so that's, that that's cool but yeah like in in general um it's important for people to realize that a lot of the things you read about how you need to do certain certain things with <laughs> with coffee and everything else in life uh, a lot of the things you, that people say you should do you should figure out for yourself whether you really need to do them or not and I bet a lot of them you don't need to do. Yeah, and in my researching this, there are so many opinions on the best way to brew coffee. It just sort of got to that point where I got I stopped reading them because it got it was impossible to because they were all conflicting and some would say different periods of time. The whole blooming thing, for example, you know, some people would say, Oh, it's a waste of time, other people would say, Oh, you know, it's absolute you've got to do it and you know, so I've tried it and I couldn't detect any difference, so I don't bother. I simply I put in uh all right, and I guess this is the next step. Okay, so the next thing to talk about is specifically 
how we go about brewing. And you sort of started this already. So, we've, we've talked about roasting. I don't roast. I just buy... Okay, I'll admit, um, I, I, have two, I have two things. I have the, I'm in a damn hurry. I need to get out the door. And I have the, um, I want a nice, as nice a cup of coffee as I can make. And I've got time to make it. So, I, I, I have, um, and I, I know that you're going to roll your eyes at this, but here we go. I've got pre-ground coffee. <laughs> um and ready to go in a tin and for when I'm in a hurry to get out the door and I've got uh a couple of be- um couple of nice uh, whole beans that they they are dark medium to dark roasted uh one of them is uh Vittoria coffee which I don't know if you have that in North America but it's you know it's one of the sort of chain brands here they also have uh, uh coffee cafes and so on around that just serve the Vittoria coffee and I've got some uh, some stuff from an actual f- freshly roasted uh, local specialty coffee roasting place like you were talking about. And uh, I'm almost at the bottom of that bag and I'm a little bit sad about that So because they look really nice. So, I have a hand grinder, uh, which is because uh, I, I looked into the, the cost of getting an electric one and I also know how loud they can be. So, I actually went with a hand grinder. It's a Hario Skirton, I think it's pronounced, uh, HSS-1B hand grinder. And it takes about... Oh, man. <laughs> that takes forever. Oh, yeah. It takes about five minutes to grind enough for... <laughs> hey, it's therapeutic. At least that's what I keep telling myself. My kids no, say... No, it's not. Just get a grind. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, first of all, to address a point you just said... <laughs> yes. Uh, about, about how loud they can be. Yeah. That is correct. However, there are two types of grinders that most people have. Yeah. Um, there's the spinning blade or the, or the uh, conical burr grinder. Yes. Um, the spinning blade is the cheap kind. It's what everyone everyone has seen these before. It is literally a spinning blade at the bottom of like a small tub, and it spins ridiculously quickly and just kind of beats the blades and it beats the beans into submission. <laughs> um, and the fancier kind is the burr grinder, which it it crushes the beans between two spinning rough steel burrs, basically. Yeah. Um, and and so you know rather than striking them into size, it crushes them into size. Uh, the advantage of this design, there's a number of advantages to it. The main advantage is um, that the grind size can be more consistent. And this is important for things like uh, a French press, where yeah. if you have a bunch of big chunks for the French press and a bunch of small chunks that happen to get in there because of your because your grinder was sloppy, um, then in a French press, like all the small stuff will leak out and then you'll have all that sludge at the bottom of the cup. That's, that's not yeah. good. Um, and, and so the, a burr grinder can get a much better consistency of the grind it's not perfect but it's better um and it it can also grind a lot finer usually um Mm -hmm. but the other advantage that might be relevant to you is that they're quieter now they're still not quiet like in an absolute term they are still loud devices but i've heard them it's it's a much lower pitched sound and it's and it's lower volume than a spinning blade grinder um still loud but but much more pleasant i think and not as loud well, the biggest problem I face is that I, I get up to go to work at five in the morning and I can't be grinding and making any noise. And I even thought the hand grinder, that'll be quiet enough until I woke Not up. Not really. Way. No, <laughs> it was it was loud enough that my son came out. It was a quarter past five in the morning and he said, Daddy, why are you grinding it? It's too early. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. So, that was that. Um, no, I, I actually have a hand grinder for travel purposes. Okay. And I hate it. I would never recommend a hand grinder to anybody. It is it is it is such a ridiculous amount of time and effort 
to grind one cup's worth of coffee by hand. Yeah, it, is, it is completely not worth it. I, but now, you can like, control like, the speed. You can control how fast you grind it, and that might affect the flavor, <laughs> right? No? I would rather just bring some tea bags when I travel next time. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just switch to tea for the week because it's so uh, much easier than trying to grind your own coffee with a hand grinder. Fun. Well, you know what? Hey, maybe one day I'll graduate to one of these fandangled, you know, machine things. But <sighs> for the moment, okay. Right. Well, and, and for whatever it's worth, you can get a good burr grinder I, I I never tried the lower the, the lower end ones, but there's some for like fifty or sixty bucks um, okay. that are reasonable. Um, yeah. And then the the one I recommend if you, if you want something really good for the for the long haul, I recommend the Barazza Virtuoso. It's about okay. two hundred bucks, and uh, it's a nice heavy piece of machinery that like it, it you, you you use this thing and you can tell this is gonna last. And you know it's like it doesn't move when you touch the button because it's heavy, and uh, it's just it. The grind size is nice. The the blades are very advanced. Like it's easy to take apart and clean if you need to. Uh, it's it's a fantastic device. So yeah, Barazza Virtuoso, two hundred bucks. That's the way to go if you can. If you can't or won't spend two hundred bucks on a coffee grinder, that's totally understandable. Uh, and in which case, I suggest either use whatever spinning blade piece of crap you already have. Uh, because everyone has one of those, and if you don't ask your parents, they probably have one they aren't using anymore, and they can give you get, they can give it to you, <laughs> or go to a thrift store and buy one for like a dollar. Um, they're everywhere. They're cheap. You can even buy them new for like ten bucks. I mean, <laughs> these are not expensive devices. Mm. Or if you want to step up from that, but don't still don't want to spend two hundred bucks, spend sixty bucks on a on a decent burr grinder that you can find in a store. That's it. Um, cool. Yeah. So okay. Don't never ever get a hand grinder under any circumstances. They're never worth it. You will hate it. And uh, that whole category should just go away. <laughs> well, I am sticking with my story that it's therapeutic and <laughs> that's just... Yeah. All right, fine. Okay, so I think it's a good point to keep moving. So, we're going to move on to <laughs> French press. Yeah, great. French press versus AeroPress. And I think you've already kind of alluded to the fact that you're an AeroPress guy and I'll put my hand up and say so am I. And it's the grit because I uh, use a French press once. And there was this this grit in the bottom, and it was not. It's just I just I hate that grit. Yeah, you know, I just I don't like the having that in my mouth at the end of it. And the AeroPress yeah, never take the last sip of a French press cup. Oh no, I just don't. But <laughs> yeah, but the the AeroPress is just perfect, unbelievable. I can see why everyone raves about them. But the thing about the AeroPress that I wanted to quiz you about with your thoughts on, and you sort of started on this topic, was the paper. Versus, there's there's a very f- um, there's a stainless steel insert that you can use instead of the paper that's supposed to be fine enough that it stops all of the grit from getting through. But the people that I've been saying I've been reading, oh, because the paper leaches all the oil out and that's a bad thing because the oil's flavour and yeah, therefore that's bad. So first question is, do you use the pa- the paper or the stainless steel disc? Um, and uh, why, I guess, or do you think that that oil thing is is BS as well? So I've tried two stainless steel discs: the the Coava disc filter, which I believe was was renamed because I think Coava renamed their company name something like that, but it okay. used to be called the Coava disc. Um, now I think it's just called the disc, something like that. Okay. And I also use the Cafeology S filter, which started on Kickstarter and is now sold separately. Um, the S filter is by far the better one uh, by a long shot. I did a whole review of it on my site and with close-up pictures of the difference and everything, and so I'll, I'll post that. But um, if, if you yeah, so it's the Cafeology S filter. That's Cafeology with a K. Um, but in my review of that, I I just I I took pictures because the the oil in coffee 
usually will float to the top of the cup. And you can see it. In freshly brewed coffee that has any oil in it, you can see this little sheen of little oil dots floating on the top of, of the coffee. Right. Um, so it's very apparent when it's there. I took close-up pictures with a macro lens and a couple of flashes to illuminate this uh, of two cups brewed side-by-side of the same beans with two air presses, one with the Cafeology S-filter, the metal filter, and one with the paper filters that come with it. And they both had oil on top. They both looked exactly the same. Wow. And I tasted them both, and they tasted exactly the same. And <laughs> so I, I think <laughs> you are... I've, I've read all those exact same things. Everyone thinks that paper filters block oil. I'm not sure that's true. No. Um, paper filters do block some things that, that the metal filters don't. Uh, one of them, if you look, there was an... I'll have to find... I'll have to dig up the link. There was an interview like a year ago with um, the guy who invented the AeroPress, who I think is named Alan Adler, maybe? It's some something Adler? Anyway, yeah. um, I have to look this up. But they asked him like, you know, what he thinks of some of these things that people do with it. And, and he mentioned something that is interesting, that one of the oils or one of the chemical compounds in coffee um, can actually increase your LDL cholesterol, which is bad. Yeah. Or HDL. It, it, it increases your cholesterol in a bad way. Um, and it's, it's, it's a relatively small amount per cup. Mm-hmm. But this one chemical compound that's in coffee can do that. The paper filters block it. Metal filters don't. So if you use a paper filter, you are not drinking that compound. No. And so there is actually a health benefit, even though it might be minor, to using a paper filter. To me, though, so you know, when I did a side-by-side test, I could not tell a taste difference at all. Right. So that advantage is removed. There is a slight environmental argument to be made for not throwing away all these paper filters after one use. Yeah. Um, but you know, you still have to make a metal filter and all the, and the amount of paper that you use on an AeroPress filter is so small. Yeah. Um, I would imagine the difference and, you know, and, and paper of course is biodegradable and everything and usually mm-hmm. comes from trees that were grown specifically for that purpose. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I would guess that the environmental argument there is not that strong. It, it, the metal filter probably does come out ahead in, in the long run a little bit, but I, I bet it's a pretty weak argument. Um, the other argument against the metal, though, is convenience. Because if you have a metal, a metal filter, that means that after every brew, you have to take the take the butt cap off the AeroPress, and instead of just popping the whole puck into the garbage like a, you know, like a reasonable human being, <laughs> uh, and then having almost no cleanup work to do at all, mm. you have to peel that, you have to peel that metal uh, filter off the coffee grounds, which is going to be hot. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, that's it's it. very inconvenient to remove this. And then you have to rinse it off and wash it and dry it and then put it back. And so it totally changes the convenience of the AeroPress. Like there's so many people try to make the AeroPress less convenient because they think it's better. <laughs> the whole point of it yeah. is that it's convenient. And it, it's like, uh, it, it just, it seems like one of those things that people do because someone said it would make a difference. And in reality, it, I, I, in my opinion, it doesn't. Uh, you can try it, try, try it back to back. Brew two different cups at the same time, uh, one with, one without. See if you can tell, you can tell a difference. I can't, and so I can't recommend these filters. It just seems like they make everything harder um, for not much reason. The, the one benefit they have that I can say is is real, is that you can't run out of metal filters. No, that's uh, unless right. Unless you throw it away. Yeah. So, 
you know, I mean, the, the, the AeroPress comes with 350 filters. That's right. Uh, and you can get 350 more for about $4 on Amazon and whenever you want. Um, or any coffee retailer that sells AeroPresses will usually sell the filters too. And the, yeah, it's like four bucks for 300 of them. So, you know, if you're, if you, if you're going on a trip or something and you don't want to bring paper filters or you don't want to be limited, yeah, throw a metal filter in the bag too, you know, yeah. but that's the only real argument I have for it. And that's not a very strong argument. I have two different metal filters and I never use them. I never bring them anywhere. I, I just never, I just bring a little stack of paper filters. If I'm going somewhere and that's it. <laughs> Fair um, enough. So the, conv- cause it, when you're traveling, it's a convenience thing, isn't it? Cause I mean, you don't want to do that cleaning up and drying when you're out and about. And so, yeah. and but- I'm not even talking about like, you know, bringing the air press to a hotel or anything. I'm talking about like bringing it to my mom's house. If I'm going there for the day, like it's like bringing it to a hotel and everything. People do that. Um, not a lot of people, but some people do that. I have done that. I've tried it. It just has never been worth the hassle. So I, I at this point, I just bring tea bags or try to get coffee wherever I am. That's reasonable. And so you, you do know, store bought Starbucks. Is that what you're telling me? Not Starbucks. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> just check. But I'll, you know, I'll, I'll like you know open up the Maps app on my phone and just search for coffee roaster and see what I find. And usually yep. I can't find a real roaster, but usually I find something decent and I'll just okay. go there and that's it. It's no big deal. Fair enough. So, well, with the uh, with the stainless steel filters, though, do you find that they do actually stop all and all of the grit, or does some some grit get through with those, or are they pretty good? Um, they they mostly do. I mean, th- and that's part of the problem that I had with the with the disc filter, the Caffeology or the the Coava disc filter, yep. is that the holes on it were big enough that the grind could actually clog them up. <laughs> and that's no good. The no. Caffeology S filter does not have that problem. It's it has an extremely fine mesh um, that the coffee grounds, as in, in my usage of it, coffee grounds were not able to clog it up. Um, and the Coava disc, I know there's been multiple versions. Please, please don't email me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, either way, yeah, I mean, I sludge was not a problem. Like coffee grounds getting through them was not a problem. Okay. Um, uh, right. And while we're on the grind size topic, by the way, this is one of the reasons why you need a grinder. Yes. The AeroPress. The, the flavor that you get from it can improve substantially if you make the grind finer. Yes. Um, you should be using a, a grind almost as fine as espresso. Like, yep. if you have if you have one of the Barazza grinders, um, I usually... It has, like, this big dial that kind of goes from 0 to 40, mm-hmm. and I usually put mine on 6. Right. <laughs> to give you some idea of, like, how fine this grind is. Yes. Um, where bigger... The larger number is a bigger grind, so it's mm-hmm. almost as fine as it goes. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm exact, my hand grinder is it has several clicks on its uh, selector for the conical um, because it's a conical burr hand grinder, and uh, yeah, it's basically the first click open. <laughs> That's how fine it yeah. is, and which with a hand grinder makes it take way longer. Yes, <laughs> much more effort. <laughs> I've noticed that. Yes, my upper arm strength has improved dramatically recently for no reason I can think of. Anyhow, <laughs> all right, cool. So. I just want to quickly talk now about um, steeping time and because I've been reading some interesting things about this. I've experimented with it a little bit and I honestly am not sure what the right answer is and you've probably got a better idea than me. So, how long do you let it sit? You said you do the AeroPress and the inverted method. How long do you actually let it, the hot water sit um, just immersed in the grinds immersed in that hot water before you um, uh, invert and press it? Not very long, um, usually less than a minute. Um, wow. Okay. Certainly, certainly one minute would be the would be the high end, um, and and you know like you can it depends on how you use the AeroPress. You, you know the AeroPress is just a tube that lets you plunge coffee at the bottom of it when you're done. Oh yeah. Um, it's and so you can use it like a French press. 
and a yeah. lot of people do, where a French press typically has a four-minute brew time. Uh, you see, you use a nice big grind, so you have these pretty large chunks of, of ground coffee in there, and uh, four-minute brew time to let them slowly steep. Um, I don't like a French press a, a French press flavor enough to do that. Um, no. and, oh, and by the way, if you are still using a French press and you have never used the AeroPress, let me tell you how you clean an AeroPress. <laughs> this, <laughs> this will sell you. Yeah, that's it. So how you clean a French press is horrible. Yeah, <laughs> how you clean an AeroPress is after you push the coffee out through the bottom of it, uh, the grounds are all compressed into a little puck. That's it. You take the cap off, you hold it over the trash can, and you hit the back of it, like almost as if you'd hit a glass ketchup bottle to get the ketchup to fall out. Yep. You just hit the back of it firmly, and the puck just pops out into the garbage can, and you have an almost perfectly clean air press. You just have to like rinse it a little mm-hmm. bit, and that's it. That's it. And <laughs> I know. It's and that's awesome. and then you're done. And, and if you wanted to make a second cup, you could immediately start that. That's you don't right. have to like wait for anything to cool down or rinse anything else out. Like you could immediately do a second cup if you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, the downside is that it can pretty much only make one cup at a time. Uh, you can, if you try really hard, you can get it to make two decent cups. But it's for the most part, you're making one cup at a time. Yes. Um, anyway, okay. so you can use an AeroPress like a French press, where you use a very large grind and you let it steep for a while before you before you plunge it out. Um, I don't do that. I, I think the whole point of an AeroPress is to get a flavor that you can't really get from other methods. Um, it's it's a more dense, a, a stronger flavor, not as strong as espresso, but partially, part like it's like partway there between drip coffee and espresso. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's an extra bold flavor, an extra strong flavor that I find very pleasant. And, and mm. clearly the market agrees um, because the AeroPress does very well these days. Yeah. Um, and so to get that flavor, you need to use a very fine grind. When you're using a very fine grind, you don't need long extraction times because you're sitting there like, you know, trying to brew out the flavor from this grind that is itself so fine, it doesn't take long for the for that for the flavor to go into solution at that point. Yeah. Um so I've so, read I've read yeah. a few articles that say that if you actually leave it in too long, all it does is increase the acidity to a point which it, it's it's less less pleasant a flavor. It but. does increase the bitterness because, like, the mm. different compounds in the bean, like, they go into solution at different times, like, after different durations of being in water. The first thing to leave the bean is caffeine, uh, which is actually how decaf works. You can get to that if you want. But um, the very, like, if you put the beans in water, the caffeine leaves almost immediately. Um, so the, the, the brew time doesn't really affect the caffeine level. Um, but some of the more bitter compounds leave the bean last. And right. so... The longer you leave it in, the more likely it is that it might become too bitter. Uh, so now acid is a different topic. As like acidity um, is widely thrown around. I think it, it it and it means different things. Like you know some people like it it could mean like the science version of you know acid versus base on the pH scale. Um, yep. It could mean that most people when talking about acid in food are talking about like stomach acid which yeah. is not always correlated to whether it's an acid or a base on the pH scale. Like it, it is not, that's, that's a different thing. And I, this is one, of, I haven't done a lot of research into this with coffee because I haven't had problems with acid, but um, I think a lot of people are, are kind of, uh, kind of taken advantage of by marketing claims of acid being high or low or less or more with certain beans, certain brews um, because the people need, you know, if coffee irritates your stomach or gives you heartburn, um, or you know, causes the problems for you. You might try a lower acid brew, 
but I'm not actually sure that helps. Uh, I've, I've read things that, that say both ways. Some people say it helps a lot. Some things I've read say it makes no difference. Um, and the ones that say they make no difference are usually from more credible sources who would know things like this, like yep. medical journals and stuff. So yeah. I'm inclined, I'm inclined to, to, to think that the acid level is mostly BS, uh, or, or at least it doesn't, it doesn't do what you hope it does, which mm-hmm. is make it easier on your stomach uh, to, if it has a lower acid level. Yeah, yeah, understand. Okay, cool. So, right. So, I just uh, there are a few more things to talk about. We're almost done, <laughs> but there's the funny thing is it's there's actually quite a bit to it if you go into the details. So, okay, um, it's come up a few times. Let's just briefly touch on why decaf <laughs> tastes worse. I think you've um Definitely. mentioned it earlier. So yeah, go for it. Yeah, so the 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 main reasons it tastes worse are economic. Um, so here here's the thing with decaf. There's a few different methods to get the caffeine out of the beans. It is not a separate plant or anything. It's as far as I know, I don't think anyone's come up with one. Um, it's the same coffee beans. They have caffeine when they start, and they go through a process to remove the caffeine. Um, there's a few different ways to do it. Check Wikipedia; it'll explain them in detail. Um, the quick version is um, usually they they are immersed in some kind of chemical solvent or just water. Um, before they're roasted. And so, as I mentioned earlier, caffeine goes into solution first. And so, um, the, there's either like, you know, either, this, either the chemicals you put them in that, that the caffeine leaches out, but the, the whole idea is you want to try to remove the caffeine without removing the other flavors in the bean because you're kind of brewing it. So, you know, you, you, you want to leave the other flavors in but remove as much caffeine as you can. This is not a perfect process, and the different methods of doing it have different techniques of, you know, try, trying to do this properly or well. The main, so, so, so you have, you have two problems with decaf. Number one is that the decaffeination process, just by its nature, will remove some of the flavor and some of the good parts. Um, so the beans usually aren't as as fully flavored. The other problem is that the decaf process costs money to do, and so you know if you are a coffee vendor or a coffee, you know, supplier. You have two choices. You can either charge more for decaf beans, which is what good good suppliers, like the specialty nerd suppliers, they do. Decaf beans should be more expensive because there has been an extra step performed on them. Uh, they, are, they are more expensive to produce. But in the marketplace, like, you know, you, you go to Starbucks or a diner or something, and if you try to charge people more for decaf, they're not going to like that very much. Nice. And so what most what most people do instead uh, is just use crappier beans. So that way the beans cost less and that, that co- the cost savings on the beans can offset the cost of the decaf process. Right. And so the reason why decaf beans taste bad is usually just because they're worse beans. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like robuster or something. Right. And, then, and there's, you know, there's also like a practical issue of if you, are, if you are a coffee shop or something and you're selling multiple different brews, their specialty, single origin, all this stuff, um, usually the demand for decaf is far less than for regular if you're in a specialty place like that. And so you might only have justification to stock one decaf bean type. It'll probably have to be a blend, so it'll appeal to the most people, and you probably won't even sell as much of it, so your decaf beans won't be as fresh, you know, because you won't have as much turnover on them. So there's all these all these different practical reasons why, like you know, in reality, decaf usually tastes worse. Some of it has to do with the process, but I think most of it doesn't. Okay, cool. Well, 
I am going to try my hardest to never have decaf unless there's a really good reason. So I haven't tried it, so I couldn't tell you, but I I trust and believe that it tastes terrible. So we'll we'll run with that. I mean, it it, it usually isn't terrible. It's usually just incredibly forgettable. It's <laughs> yeah, like okay. you know, it, it doesn't have a lot of personality. It's it's you know, like a more flat, average, unremarkable flavor because okay. it's just you know, it's it's not it's not using great beans in a great way that are usually very fresh. Mm-hmm. Cool. Fair enough. Okay, so the the last thing I just want to talk about really quickly, though, is um, I guess this is my my journey, which has been nowhere near as uh, of, of the duration of, of yours, but my, my coffee journey and where I am at the moment and how it's changed even in three months is I basically will make myself a, a latte. So, I'll do the espresso base using the AeroPress and I like it to be uh, you know quite quite strong. And then I'll mix in and dilute it with, you know, some milk, which I've recently got myself a frother, which is one of those ones you you, you push down. It's got <laughs> two meshes in it. So, yes, I know. Go nice, on, laugh. Nice. laugh. Yeah, yes, laugh it up. It's fine. That, that's got to be fun to clean, huh? Uh, what did my wife say? Gee, that sounds, that seems like an awful lot of trouble, she says. <laughs> she's right. Yeah, she's right. Anyway, I mean, fine. But so, so is roasting yourself. I mean, I, I can't really, I can't really argue. <laughs> Well, there you go. So, we're both crazy for different reasons. There you go. Anyhow, so, I then... I, I, I don't like to... I, I start out with, um, oh, you know, equal, splendor, called stev, stevia, stevia, whatever. You know, fake sugar, not real sugar. And I'd put that in there. And then I'd put in some uh, some kind of flavor of some kind, like a, like a caramel syrup or something like that. And that would be what I would have. Because you got to realize, this is where I started. So, I started with that was what I would get from Gloria Jeans and I want to replicate that at home. And I've come to the point where now I'm actually reducing the ratio of milk. So I'm actually going to a stronger flavor. So I'm saying it used to be more like one is to five. Now I'm down to one is to three, maybe even half and half to the point at which I'm now going to be, you know, putting less and less milk in. I've given up putting the the sweetener in at all and it's just the, the syrup. So I'm can foresee a time in the not too distant future where I'm going to probably end up forgoing the syrup and I'll end up just having the coffee as my taste is changing. And it's it's sort of fascinating. One of the other things I've noticed, though, is that the flavor of the coffee changes from the first sip all the way to the final sip. And I've got a, I've got a thermos mug that I keep it in to try and keep it as warm as possible. So, it's not about the temperature of the, the, the drink. And it's got something to do with the the um, the taste receptors on your tongue being dulled, either based on either the higher temperature initially or you know the bitterness. Not entirely sure which it is. Is that something that you've noticed? Or oh, definitely. Usually the first few sips are the best um, yeah, for me. That's it. Um, part you you might also be seeing part of the problem with uh, that mug. Are the walls of it made of stainless steel? Yes. So I, most insulated mugs have metal walls, um, and I have found I I have a few myself. I have found that they do, and this this applies to like thermos bottles too that that don't have glass walls, um, which is most of them. They do leach a somewhat metallic taste into the coffee, and the longer it's in there, the more you can taste it. It's not very strong, but it is there, and you can notice it. And I don't like that flavor, and so that's usually I will try to avoid um, using metal walled glasses if I if I can. Uh, and sometimes like if you're on a road trip and you got a travel mug, you know then you know, fine, do, do, do what you got to do. 
but I, I try to avoid it if I can. Um, okay. So you might be seeing some of that as well with, with it not tasting as good towards the end. It's just because it's been sitting in this metal thing that does impart some flavor. Um, there is a glass travel mug that I like. It's by a, a, a German-sounding name, which even even though I'm pretty sure the company is not actually German, uh, called Grosch. It's like it's G-R-O-S-C-H-E, I think. Uh, Amazon has their travel mugs for like 17 bucks. Um, they seem like they're pretty widespread. Uh, and they are glass double wall travel mugs with these silicone lids, so it looks kind of like a coffee travel cup from a from a from a uh, coffee shop. Okay. Um, and they are they're great for taste, but they're bad for everything else that people use travel mugs for. <laughs> well, they, durability. They don't keep it definitely durability. Um, they don't keep it hot for very long because they're not that well insulated. The, the between the two glass walls is not a vacuum, right. and the lid is just a silicone lid that you stick on top. So it's it's not very well insulated. Um, you can't, you know, it's, it's always somewhat open because the lid has a small sipping hole in it. So you can't like turn it on its side, put it under your arm or anything. Otherwise it'll spill out. So, um, as a travel mug, it's not very practical for long-term keeping. It is good if you're like, I just made one cup of coffee and I'm going somewhere that's going to take me 20 minutes to drive to. I'd like to drink it on the way. It's fine for that. Um, but otherwise it's not great. Um, the best travel mugs I have found are, are the Contigo brand. Uh, which are you know similar you know twelve thirteen bucks something like that. Um, they have a nice little a nice like button you push to unlock it to to sip and otherwise a Contigo mug that is that is not having the button pushed on it at that moment you can do anything to it you can turn it upside down you can like put it in a bag like you can do anything to it and it won't leak so it's awesome um, so I I love those for that anyway. Um, where did this even start? I forget. But but so you were you were talking about your brewing and, yeah, and so all the I just, crap you put into it. Yeah, so I was adding all of that unnecessary stuff that is um, laughable to someone that's been drinking you know coffee for a while and you know. So I guess what I'd like to know is now you've heard. Well, hey, my, I started there too. Yeah. Well, I'd like to hear how you would. What do you add to your coffee, if anything? It sounds like you not much. Nothing. I mean, I, so nothing. I, I add water to my coffee, and <laughs> it makes coffee. <laughs> um, no, so uh, so people always ask me how I brew and if I've ever written it up before, and the answer is no because I don't really care, and you know everyone's going to brew differently. But if you want, I'll tell you how I brew. Yeah, please. Um, so first thing is I weigh the beans to know how much to put in, and this is something that you can. I, I didn't have a kitchen scale until I started becoming a coffee nerd like this and wanted to weigh my beans. But you can get a kitchen scale again. You know, twenty bucks on Amazon, maybe even less, yeah, uh, depending on what the model you pick. Yeah, yeah get a kitchen scale that is sensitive enough to show you grams. You don't even need fractional grams. It isn't that important. Just grams. Um, and it's it changes everything when you have that because, first of all, your coffee gets better because you can make a much more consistent cup. Like, I don't know how many scoops you need because the, there is no standard size of a scoop. <laughs> and every, yeah. like, coffee bag or device that comes with a scoop, they're all different sizes. Yep. And... Similarly, like the cups measurement on the side of coffee pots, those are not cups. Those are arbitrary measurements. Sometimes they're like a cup of, of liquid is eight ounces. That's it. Um, a cup on a coffee pot might be six or five or seven or eight. It doesn't, no one, there is no standard. Usually they're small. Usually they're like five or six, but it is not a standard. So, uh, you know, it's important for you to be able to, if you, if you find a way to make coffee that you like, you probably want to reproduce it. And, yep. It's nice to it's nice to not have so much variation in the in the the two most important measures, which is how much coffee is there and how much water is there. 
those that makes the biggest difference to the taste of any other factor so you should at least like you know not be shooting in the dark with that you should know what you're doing uh, so that way you can make you can make adjustments to get what you want and then you can reproduce what you want um so the easiest way to know to know how much coffee you're putting in is to weigh it simple as that um technically dark darker roasts weigh less per bean than lighter roasts because they have a little bit less water in them Mm -hmm. um it's a very very small difference probably doesn't matter um and you know because the range of water content between light and dark is such a it's it's such a small range there it's it probably doesn't matter so you can temporarily ignore that unless you're really hardcore which i'm not um again it probably doesn't matter uh so anyway i use between eight and 12 grams uh, of coffee beans for a cup and made in the aeropress uh that is not a lot if you get a cup from like a fancy pour over place uh, like Stumptown or Blue Bottle, they probably use more like 20 to 30 grams uh, for even a small. That is a lot. I can't take that much caffeine. If, if I get a cup from, if, if, if I get just a small coffee, a small drip coffee from Starbucks or Blue Bottle or any of those places, I can't drink the whole thing. If I drink the whole thing, I'll get all crazy feeling and fevery and buzzy. I can't, like, I can't even finish one small coffee from those places. It's way too much coffee, way too much caffeine for me. Um, and if, and, I'm not the only one. Whenever I say this, I, I hear from a lot of people saying, oh my God, I have the same problem with like Starbucks coffee where I can't, like, I can't believe how people drink that because I can't. So if you are like this, you are not alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so 8 to 12 grams, um, depending on how much caffeine I want, basically. Do I want, you know, a lot or a little? And it's, well, it's all relative, you know. <laughs> it's not, yep. again, it's, we're talking, a, you know, a 50% range here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, 8 to 12. Um, and then I use an inverted AeroPress, so I set it up upside down, and I align it so that the the black ring of the plunger, yep. you know, in in the press, you can look at, how, at where it lines up with the numbers. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, if you line it up with the three and then fill up the press, then that's going to be a certain amount of water. If you line it up with the four, that's going to be more water. You know, so yep. I line it up so that the plunger is at the three for for an eight gram cup. If I want twelve grams, I'll put it on the four. Okay. And then I will boil water. I don't care if it's, you know, 202 degrees, 205 degrees. So you don't control um, the temperature. I don't control the temperature. I just boil it <sighs> because that's one of those things that I have tried. I've experimented with different temperatures. And yep. even the guy who invented the air press says 180, um, which is a very, very big difference. And yeah. I I found it matters a lot for green tea, which I like. Um, I have found in, in my coffee making that, between the difference between like 200 and, and 212 boiling, uh, sorry, this is all Fahrenheit. Uh, the, the difference between like 205 and 212, which is what people seem to think for specialty coffee, I can't tell that difference. I can tell the difference from like 180 to 212, uh, but I don't like the flavor of 180. It actually um, it it dulls the flavor in a way that many people find pleasing, uh, but that I don't I, like the the things that 180, the flavor components that get muted by that are flavors I like. Mm-hmm. And so I, I go to 212. I just boil it because it's easier. It's, you know, I don't need a fancy kettle or anything. I just have like a typical $10 glass kettle that I've had for years and it's no big deal. Right. Uh, so I boil the water. I pour it in. I don't bloom. I just pour it most of the way in. The only the only reason I won't go all the way to the top on the very first pour is that if I did, it would overflow with the with the foaming up that happens because the, the beans are fresh. Yeah, um, yeah. So I pour it most of the way to the top, stir it, top it off, Wait, you know, 10, 15 extra seconds, maybe maybe 30 if I'm feeling generous. And then put the cap on, plunge it into a cup. 
I don't plunge extremely slowly like some people do. I just plunge, you know, medium speed. It's this is you can tell this is. I don't do it in, a, in an extremely fussy way. Um, no. The most fussy thing I do is probably measuring the coffee. <laughs> but yeah, but that, just, I don't yeah. consider that a bad thing. And no. and the reason why I do it this way is first of all because it's quick and easy, and it's and the the things that would make it more complex, as I said, are things that I don't notice the difference for uh, in the in the resulting cup. And I measure the beans by weight, but because I measure the amount of water by just filling up the AeroPress inverted either to the plunger at three or the plunger at four, depending on the on the bean quantity uh i don't have to measure the water then i because the, the air press i'm filling it up so i don't need to like weigh the water or measure how like it you know what some people have to do to like boil exactly 200 milliliters of water like i i don't need to do that i can no. i can just yep. i can just measure one thing basically um okay. and that's so, easy and it's yep. it doesn't take it takes you know five minutes at most it, it most of the time is waiting for the water to boil mm-hmm. uh it's it's a really simple process and uh, as I mentioned before, I use a very fine grind. I use, you know, as, almost as fine as your grinder can do it. Um, and, you know, one stir. I don't do a fancy stirring technique, which is very popular <laughs> oh, among, among certain crowds. Yeah, you, can, you I can't not stir found it, that to matter. You can't stir it more than five times, apparently, because otherwise that destroys the flavor completely. That's what I read. <laughs> oh, Come on, really? Yeah, you can, you can read a lot of crap about this. I, oh, my God. If, if you can tell a difference, fine, do it. But I can't, so... No, uh, me you know, I, I think I think we're doing... You know, the coffee world is doing itself a disservice by by being, like, so snobby about yeah. how these things are done and, and and so so pretentious. Yeah, and this uh, is this I'm I'm glad you said that because that's exactly where I wanted to to almost wrap this yeah. up is that everyone has their own opinion about what the best way is and that's fine, you know, it's you know, it's a free world, you well, parts of it are free. The point is that yes, you can <laughs> you can believe what you want, you can do what you want if it's placebo effect, if it's if you can actually have special taste buds on your tongue that you can actually tell the damn difference. Well, that's great, you know. I'm I'm happy for you. But the, th- the reason that people do this, the reason you're doing it, the reason I'm doing it, I think, is we want something that is consistent. It, we know exactly what's going into it and we want to remove that that variability. I mean, if you go out and you get store-bought coffee, even from Starbucks to Starbucks, and I know you'd never drink Starbucks, but let's just say you did, they're going to be different because they got different baristas doing it their own way, even if it's the same physical hardware. You don't know how old the beans are. You don't know when they were, if they were ground recently or, or you just don't know. So, there's too many variables. And then, of course, you throw into that, okay, well, I'm not going to go to Starbucks because I hate Starbucks and that, you know, I understand that. Fair enough. So, I'll go to this other shop or that other shop. And, and you got all these different cafes and they're all completely different varying levels of coffee. There's no consistency. It's all very, it's all highly variable. So, I think the reason that people do their own coffee in the way that they, they want to control it is we figure out the way that we like it so we can keep making it the way we like it. We take the variability out of the equation. We take control of it. And that's all I think it's about. I mean, is that how you see it? Oh, definitely. And and I, I would I would hate myself if I didn't bring up this one topic. I know we're trying to wrap up. But yeah, sure. um, it's also worth pointing out um, when you're going to different cafes or buying coffee beans or anything, the way they advertise the flavors the, and the way they describe the flavors is usually complete BS. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they'll have these names like Bold Breakfast Blend. Yeah. Okay, well, what does that mean exactly? I, I don't Can get I have a breakfast either. blend later in the day? No, what, I can't like, do that. Does breakfast? What What does breakfast taste like? What like it's it, it is not <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah it is not a very helpful uh, description usually and, and or they'll say like you know 
mountain fresh breeze it, you know it's it sounds like deodorant sense it's like yeah. it, it's like yeah. what you look at the descriptions of, of coffee flavors okay what does that mean mm. and usually it's not quantifiable usually these are they're not using well defined terms usually the terms they're using are meant to evoke a marketing feeling in your mind they are manipulative terms purely for marketing's sake meant to evoke a certain pleasant thing for you yeah and they have enough of a variety of these terms to appeal to any mood you might be in or any person you want to be or any flavor that you think you might want, even though most of them taste differently from what they're advertised because what they're advertised is not quantifiable. And, uh, and a lot of them, like, you know, if they, if they, a lot of it is the power of suggestion. If they tell you this flavor tastes like bold mountain sports, you're going <laughs> to think that flavor tastes like bold mountain sports when you drink it. You're like, oh, yeah, I do feel like I'm climbing a mountain in you know, Colorado. Or like, you're you're going to think that, right? And, yeah, well. <laughs> and, it, it's, it, and most of those descriptions are complete and utter BS. The, big, the biggest thing that matters in a bean, in how it tastes to you, first of all, the biggest thing that matters is how it's brewed and how fresh it is, but <laughs> the, yeah. the, the difference between different, different beans... Um, the biggest thing that matters is where it was grown. That's where you yeah. will see the biggest difference. Yeah. A bean grown in, say, Kenya tastes very different from a bean grown in Colombia or Brazil. Um, there's And there's all these different countries, and, and anything labeled a blend means it is not just one country's beans. It is a blend of different origins. And single origin means it's from one place. It's, you know, this is one batch from one farm, uh, usually... Um, you know, grown at grown at the same time, packaged at the same time, everything else. So it's usually the the blends taste like what you'd expect. It's like a more average, unremarkable taste. The single origins have like certain certain like strong flavors that might not be present in all coffees. That certain origins will have that flavor, certain origins won't, or it'll be different balances or whatever. Um, so they're they are necessarily less agreeable to the general public. Because yeah. the general public will want the average if you average everyone out. But if you can figure out what you like, uh, then you can get a really good roast. Like my favorite by by far is Kenya. I love Kenya beans, mm-hmm. um, and and they have to be roasted relatively dark, like to to a full city level. Um, yeah. Maybe even a little bit darker than that to to get the flavor that I like out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but not everyone likes that. You know, you might like. Colombia, you might like Brazil, you might like like Costa Rica is another another high point of mine. I like Costa Rica a lot. Um, mm. There's and there's and there's so many places coffee is grown, uh, so you can find what matters. But if you go into a coffee shop, you know if it's a fancy coffee shop, and they'll say, oh, you know this is an Ethiopian, blah blah blah, that is that is useful information to you. Yeah, that is, that actually can give you a pretty good idea. Once you've had a couple of Ethiopians, you you can have a pretty good idea of what that will probably taste like yeah. and whether you like it or not. Yeah, but Mountain um, Fresh is less likely to be helpful. Right. If you see, you know, the description of like, you know, like espresso blend, that means nothing. No. Espresso is not a different type of bean. No. <laughs> I know. What's I didn't get that either. That doesn't mean anything. Usually it mean usually the, they use it to mean it's roasted dark. Uh, yeah. but that doesn't necessarily always correlate or, you know, the it, 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 the, the descriptions are all over the place and they they are almost always meaningless. Yeah. And they are almost always just marketing terms invented to evoke a particular placebo in you yeah. that is not reflected in the actual bean. And if they have to result, if they, if they have to resort to those terms, usually it's because the beans aren't very good. Yeah. Well, ultimately, I think that it comes back to you have a choice if you make it yourself to get beans specifically from different parts of the world. If you want to go to the next step and roast them yourself, that's fine. But you know that's great if you want to do that. 
go for it, Marco. But most people are just going to buy them pre-roasted and, you know, probably get a darker roast, different different range of roast. You can pick and choose and get just the one you like. And I, I guess that that's, that's where I really want to wrap this up is it's about control of what you're drinking. And, you know, some people say, oh, it's just coffee. Just go grab a coffee from the shop. And it's like, well, yeah, of course I could do that. Sure. Um, but if I'm going to spend some time and drink something, I want it to be nice. I don't want to just drink crap. And for the sake of, oh, I've had a coffee. I really need a coffee. So, I'm just going to go and grab whatever's handy. So, if I have a choice, I will always make my own because now I know enough to make a consistently good cup that I like. I'm still learning and I've got a long way to go. And I haven't even tried, you know, coffee from different parts of the world yet. I've just, I've got some Ethiopian stuff and I've got some from Victoria coffee at and Victoria not actually being a country, I have no idea where the hell it's from, but never mind that. So, it's about control. And I, I find that there's a... There's... People perceive... People, other, other people perceive you and I for doing the stuff that we're doing as, like, we're taking this over the top or it's way too far or it's, you know, we're some kind of, you know, nutbags for doing this. But I don't, I don't see it that way at all, at least certainly not anymore. Now, I understand that it's about controlling the consistency of what you want to drink. If you don't care, then just, you know, like what you what you eat and what you drink, go to McDonald's and be happy, you know, whatever. Eat crap, drink crap. I don't care, fine. But as for me, I'd like to take a few extra minutes grinding by hand and doing it myself. <laughs> I'm still going to make fun of you for the grinding by hand. Thing. I know, I'm going to cop There's that no now for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah. That's There's it. no upside. <laughs> <laughs> it's therapeutic anyway. Okay, so I, on that note, I just want to um, quickly mention uh, before we go uh, your Overcast, which is a, uh, a podcatcher. Um, and if you don't like the name podcatcher, podcast playback application, whatever. You can play all your netcasts in it. You can play your netcasts in it. Wow, <laughs> cool, man. That's like cutting. Yeah, it's cool. Anyway, so honestly, um, I... Um, I think it's I think it's an awesome app. It's it it's it's compared to other apps out there like Castro and uh, Downcast. I find it's a very nicely comp- a nice compromise app that gives you. It's a beautiful, nice, simple interface, but at the same time, it's still quite powerful. And there's little features in there like uh, Smart Speed that I really really enjoy and I've come to depend on. So it only came out yesterday, so it's fr- hot off the press. It is free to download. And uh, there is an in-app purchase to unlock some of the extra features, but you can sample them for periods of time to see if they're, if they're what you want. And uh, honestly, for what you get for that price of free, it's uh, it's fantastic. So, I think you should check it out. And uh, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I think we've done coffee to death there, Marco. Yeah. So, um, if you want to talk to more about this, you can reach me on Twitter at John Chigi. That's J-O-H-N-C-H-I-D-G-E-Y. And check out my writing at techdistortion.com. If you'd like to send any feedback, and uh, you may have some about coffee, who knows, please use the feedback form on the website, and that's where you'll also find the show notes for this episode under Podcasts Pragmatic. You can also follow Pragmatic Show on Twitter to see show announcement and other related materials. I'd also like to thank um, our sponsors for this episode. Uh, first of all, many tricks for uh, if you're looking for some Mac software that can do many tricks, remember to specifically visit this URL, many tricks, or one word dot com slash pragmatic for more information about their amazingly useful apps and use a discount code pragmatic 25 for 25% off the total price of your order hurry it is only for a limited time 
And I'd also like to thank LifeX for sponsoring the show. If you're looking for a great LED light bulb that's energy efficient, remotely controllable, colorful, and just plain fun to use, remember specifically to visit this URL, LifeX, spelled L-I-F-X dot co slash pragmatic, and use the coupon code pragmatic for 15% off the total price of your order. I'd just like to say a very special thank you also to Marco for joining me on the show and... You taught me quite a bit I did not know and dispelled a lot of um, myths about coffee. So, thank you very much for coming on. And if people do need to get in touch with you and they still don't know how to get in touch with you, um, how would they do that? Uh, best place is to uh, use Twitter, uh, Marco Arment, uh, or you can go to marco.org, uh, my blog. If you forget any of this information and want to spend hours reading really geeky stuff that you probably <laughs> <laughs> you might not like. <laughs> Thanks for that, Marco, and um, thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks, it's been fun. People are going to listen to this thing. I think Marco. Okay, we're going to talk about Overcast. We're going to talk about software or something, and I don't know. But, yeah, I talk uh, about that everywhere else. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I I can't do coffee on my show because neither of them drink coffee. <laughs>